0: I'm a 37-year-old millennial, and I still think it's best to wear our best to church. No, I don't think a suit will save you or jeans will jinx you. I just think God's house deserves our respect. And I can hear the groans from the latte-sipping, skinny-jean, cashmere-wearing liberals now. And yes, I know the church is made up of people, not buildings. In fact, I'll take you all the way down that road— Our bodies are literally temples of the Holy Ghost, 1 Corinthians 6.19, meaning it matters how we dress, speak, talk, eat, live, and on and on, and not just at church, but every day. Our bodies represent Jesus, His holiness, His majesty, and His royalty dwell within us. I want to represent the Holy Spirit to the best of my ability, whatever and wherever that may be. And so today we're talking about Should we dress our best for church? Should we still dress our best for church? Hey, I'm Ryan French. This is Apostolic Voice, the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Let's go. I know for a fact our subject matter today, should we still dress our best for church, is highly controversial. Uh, It's been almost four years ago that I originally wrote about it at the blog, RyanAFrench.com, titled it the name of this episode, Should We Still Dress Our Best for Church? I had over a million shares in a brief amount of time. That stunned me. It shut my my blog at that time, was uh, extremely small, and uh, shut the website down, uh, opened it back up, had so much criticism because of the article, and some of it very vitriolic, which stunned me as well, that I had to write a follow-up article, a response to critics defending some of my positions. And, And also recently it's been translated into three different languages, most recently into Spanish, and that's been circulated widely around the world and I still get responses even today. In fact, I'm holding in my hand right now a letter. Yes, that's right, a letter from Sister Betty Land from Denham Springs, Louisiana. And she wrote me a very long handwritten letter, which really touched my heart. And, uh, and she had read the article, Should We Dress Our Best for Church? And she was moved to actually sit down and write this to me. And she said, uh, when I came into church 49 years ago, I was taught that we were ambassadors of Christ and we were to present ourselves as such everywhere we go and especially in the house of God. And she went on to say a lot of things. And at the end, she said, I'd like to encourage you to continue your work for the Lord. And it really blessed me, Sister Betty, if you are able to hear this. Thank you for writing that sweet letter. Churchhouse Church House is a building specifically designated and dedicated to worshiping a God that is awesome beyond our wildest imaginations. His presence is everywhere, but a church is dedicated to worship and the Word. When functioning properly, a church is a collection of unified, spirit-filled, enthusiastic people who show up to lift up the name of Jesus. They come to learn, grow, praise, and experience the presence of God in a way that only collective worship allows. The singing is sacred, the preaching is powerful, the prayer is purposeful, and the atmosphere is faithful. A gathering of the church in any place or building on the Lord's Day is a convocation of holy people worshiping a holy God. It's a holy convocation. Basically, church is a big deal. God is the biggest deal. And because worship is not a casual thing, we shouldn't dress informally. I dress up for church for the same reasons I dress up for weddings. It's a sacred time, and I want to honor it. Psychologists know how we dress impacts our mindset greatly. Schools have found that uniforms foster a focused classroom. Conversely, anything goes dress codes promote lazy, casual, and disrespectful demeanors. Studies of businesses show that productivity dramatically decreases on casual Fridays we all instinctively know this to be true deep down. There's a reason. We buy special clothes for special occasions, for vacations. Certain types of clothing makes us feel more relaxed. You can, you can always spot a tourist because they're dressed like a tourist. It's not a coincidence that people dress a certain way to go clubbing or hit the bars. They have a certain goal and a certain mindset, and they dress accordingly, There's a reason politicians, lawyers, business professionals, newsmen, profession themselves and others. And not only that, they exude confidence, competence, focus, command, and they elicit trust. I know there's a certain charm to feeling the liberty to wear jeans and t-shirts to church or whatever. It's easy, casual, convenient, and relaxing. And I think that's where the problem is. Church is not designed to be easy, casual, convenient, or relaxing. I I know, I know how politically incorrect that statement is, but nevertheless, it's true. I really think this this is one of the reasons this subject has become so controversial. Among other things that we'll hone in on as we go, I think the question really becomes, is church something to be approached casually or is church something that we approach reverently? Church is meant to be exciting, exhilarating, exalting, and life-changing. If you think that sounds sillier than passing up a Krispy Kreme when the hot sign is on, it's because you haven't experienced the moving of the Spirit in a tangible way, at least not recently. Like it or not, preaching is not inherently designed by God to be positive and encouraging K-Love Radio sound bites. Sometimes, in fact oftentimes, preaching is for correction, conviction, instruction, and and even rebuke. I don't want my pastor and I don't want to be the kind of pastor looking like he's about to go camping for the same reasons. I don't want my lawyer looking like he's about to go play video games in his mom's basement. It reeks of immaturity, incompetence, indifference, and frivolity. None of those images inspire confidence, gravitas, or respect. Furthermore, Church is a sacred time where we come into direct contact with divine anointing, revelation, illumination, salvation, sanctification, and the list could go on for miles. Bottom line, church is not casual. Let me address objections that I often hear from the promoters of super casual church attire. It usually goes something like this. Isn't it a waste of money to buy dress clothes? And it's normally followed up with, couldn't that money be better spent another way? Typically, some kind of caustic accusation of vanity is leveled towards me as well. First, those statements are eerily like the arguments that Judas employed against Mary when she broke her alabaster box over the feet of Jesus. An argument that Jesus immediately rejected. And I wouldn't call Judas a great role model anyway. Second... Dressing in a respectful, dignified way doesn't necessarily have to be, and nor should it be, expensive. Thirdly, about five years ago, I performed a wedding alongside a pastor who was adamantly against wearing a suit and tie to church. He talked about it the whole time, and he poked fun at me knowing how I felt about it. Ironically, though, he spent a lot of time bragging about his $300 name brand jeans and his $400 distressed leather boots and his certain amount of money, watch, and all of these things. In the end, it, it added up to a, a whole lot, a lot of money spent on casual clothes, if you can call them casual. I don't necessarily care what he paid for what, but obviously hip casual clothing can be and often is more expensive than someone dressing professionally in a suit and tie. Really, the issue is, is not about how much money is spent. It's about the image that we're projecting. I really appreciate you listening today and I want to ask you a favor. I'd like to encourage you to go to iTunes and give us five stars and leave us a favorable review, even if iTunes isn't your, your usual way of listening. Maybe you're like me and, and you like to listen with Overcast or something like that to, to different podcasts. Uh, iTunes is the, the one that distributes to everything else. And so if you give us a five star rating and a review there, it, it just helps get the word out to where we'll show up in, uh, in search engines when people are looking for podcasts. And so if you do that, also, if you wouldn't mind giving us a, a like on Facebook, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, uh, maybe share and let others know that we're out there. Uh, and also, if you feel it in your heart, this is a ministry and nobody's making any money off of this or even off the blog. Uh, if you feel led to, I'd like to ask you to become a supporter of Apostolic Voice you can go to the website, which is anchor.fm forward slash apostolic voice forward slash support. I'll give that one more time because it's long. I know anchor.fm forward slash apostolic voice forward slash support. And you can give a monthly contribution there. Uh, You can do 99 cents a month. That's just $12 a year. You can do $4.99 a month, or you can do $9.99 a month, and you can do it with a debit or credit card. It really would help us keep this on the air and uh, keep us leveling up our quality. And uh, We love you. We appreciate you. I hope you're blessed, and I hope you're having a great day. I don't want you to walk away from this article assuming I think a tie has some salvific value because you'd be dead wrong. Neither do I expect guests to change their wardrobe before they walk through the doors of the church house. I I don't expect people to go buy a suit and tie just to attend church for the first time. Also, I acknowledge that if people aren't careful, dressing up can devolve into vanity and showiness, which is a sin. I do think, however, that as we mature spiritually— our level of reverence towards the things of God should grow exponentially. As that happens, we should begin to dress reverently for church. This excerpt from an article by CNN writer John Blake, I think gives a perspective and hones in on how I feel. He said this, The reasons why people stop dressing up for church could fill a book. Yet Fulweiler offers one explanation that's seldom mentioned, lack of gratitude. Fullweiler's revelation came one day as she watched scruffily dressed people board a plane. She flashed back to a black-and-white photo she had seen of her grandparents boarding a plane in the 1940s. Most of the passengers were dressed in suits and ties and dresses because air travel was such a privilege at the time. We dress up for what we're grateful for, she says. We're such a wealthy, spoiled culture that we feel like we have a right to fly on airplanes, says Fullweiler, author of Something Other Than God which details her journey from atheism to Christianity. Church is like air travel now. It's no longer a big deal because people have lost their sense of awe before God, Fullweiler says. Yet some of these same people who say it doesn't matter how you dress for church would change their tune if they were invited to another event, Fullweiler says. If you had the opportunity to meet the Queen of England, you wouldn't show up at the Windsor Castle wearing jeans and a t-shirt, she says. Shouldn't people have that same reverential attitude when they show up at church to meet God, some ask? After all, doesn't your dress reveal the importance you attach to an occasion? I think it does. I agree with Fullweiler and I'm glad that Blake of CNN drew this out. The real underlying question here is, should you choose to approach church casually, or reverently. Before you decide, ask yourself it would be if it would be disrespectful to show up to a wedding in flip-flops and a t-shirt. Take that thought a little further. If you were the bride, how would you dress? Certainly as the bride of Christ, we should be reverent in our dress code as we gather to worship our groom. Saints of old viewed it symbolically as a foretaste of the great marriage supper of the lamb. Dressing up or uh, dressing in their Sunday best was a symbol of their profound respect for the things of God. I think they were right. I think they were on to something. And I think letting it go too casually is a mistake. Yeah. Two things have surprised me the most over the years about the responses from critics to the original article, Should We Dress Our Best for Church? And even in-person conversations that I've had with people uh, in the past three or four years. Number one has been the very, and I mean very strong, emotions that people feel concerning church attire. I've been called legalistic, hateful, egomaniac, haughty, jerk, old-fashioned, and my personal favorite, Parasitical. And the second thing that's really surprised me has been the knee-jerk reactions from the critics. Many people responded to the original article simply by reading the title and not the content. How can you debate against something you haven't even thought about? It confirms that our culture is highly opinionated but tremendously understudied. Opinions steeped in feelings rather than reflective thinking provoke strong emotional outbursts that have no basis in fact or even deep thought. So let me give a few clarifications and responses to the critics. And I want to say this again, and and I know I'm repeating myself, but I do not believe wearing a suit and tie will save you. I've known many tremendous Christians who didn't wear suits or ties to church. They did, however, dress respectfully in what they considered to be their best. For those who accused me of adding to the gospel, the article and the thoughts in question wasn't a theological discourse. It was a thoughtful discussion about what is best and most appropriate for corporate worship, mainly what is most favorable for fostering a respectful and worshipful environment in church. And that should be the goal of every church service. Essentially, I'm speaking culturally about spiritual things. And I know cultural debates are dangerous. Just try preaching about Christianity's ongoing love affair with sports, Hollywood sex, and in modest fashion trends. And I do acknowledge there's some room for debate in regards to what is respectful attire and what it looks like in American churches and in American culture. The original article was directed towards Western Christians who already have a deep relationship with God. I also affirm that non-believers should come as they are, but my prayer is that God will transform them with His Spirit internally and externally. You know, the demoniac ran to Jesus from the tombs naked and tormented, but he left clothed and in his right, right mind. My experience has been that ultra-casual church attire is accompanied by ultra, ultra-casual worship, and ultra-casual worship is a symptom of casual dedication interestingly when when jacob and his family went back to bethel and bethel is literally translated the house of god they did four things first they got rid of their idols they cleaned up that was the second thing they did they literally bathed themselves and they changed their clothes they buried their earrings genesis 35 1-4 through 4. the adams-clark commentary says personal or outward purification as emblematical of the sanctification of the soul, has been in use among all true worshipers of God from the beginning of the world. In many cases, the law of Moses more solemnly enjoined rites and ceremonies which had been in use from the earliest ages. In other words, our outward dress and our outward symbols of purification and respect go all the way back to the beginning of creation. Now, several people have objected to dressing up for church out of concern for how poor people or homeless people might feel in the service. That's a noble sentiment when it's genuine, although it's often used as a red herring argument. First, dressing our best for church doesn't have to be expensive or trendy, something we've already talked about. Secondly, I've been to many hip churches that dressed very casually, but their shoes cost more than my whole outfit. You can make people uncomfortable in hundreds of little ways. Thirdly, if you live your life by this standard, you should apply it to the car you drive and the house you live in because all of those things could make a poor person feel uncomfortable. I pastor in in Atlanta, on the south side of Atlanta, in what would be considered a a fairly poor area. And uh, it's not uncommon for us at all to have poor people come to our church. We have a thriving homeless ministry, food pantry ministry, and we give away a lot of clothes and food, and we love doing that, and we have a lot of homeless people attend our church services. And and I've seen many poor homeless people find salvation who desperately wanted to rise out of their situation, not stay stuck there. In fact, sometimes they feel like people are condescending when they try to be like them. Think Gucci faux grunge in the soup kitchen, you know, the the multi-millionaire actor out there in his $3,000 t-shirt ladling soup for the homeless. It's condescending, and and poor people sense that condescension. The key is not how we dress. The key to helping the poor and the homeless is to treat people from every walk of life with true love and compassion. People can tell if you really care whether you're wearing a a tie or a t-shirt. It doesn't matter. People know. They can sense it in your spirit. Every culture has a type of attire that is culturally deemed respectful or dressy. And conversely, every culture has attire that is designed to be rebellious and disrespectful think jeans that intentionally sag down to the knees. You don't have to be a genius to know that fashion designers intentionally design clothes to make a statement of some kind. T-shirts are just walking advertisements. There's even a style of dress commonly referred to as a cocktail dress. It would be intellectually dishonest to ignore the reality that there are types of clothing that are culturally speaking inherently disrespectful and modest. For example, Most American citizens still put on a suit and tie if they're going to meet the president or their governor. Why? As a symbol of respect and honor for the position, even if they don't know or even like the man or woman. Nevertheless, there's an astonishing theme that I've noticed trending from the most vehement objectors to dressing their best for church. Many people do not believe that a church service is special or worthy of respect, or any kind of special consideration. Most of these objectors acknowledge that certain clothing is more respectful than others, but maintain that it's irrelevant because a Sunday service is no more important than getting coffee or beer with friends who happen to be Christians. Their arguments stem from the assumption that the early church was incredibly informal, and that the whole Sabbath thing is so Old Testament and completely immaterial today. Any other view to them is considered to be pharisaical and legalistic. And by the way, that that whole legalism thing gets taken out of context way too often, but that's another podcast, another article for another day. So what about the early church? What about the Lord's Day? Is Sunday special or, or not? These are incredibly important questions with far-reaching ramifications. Early Christians considered Resurrection Sunday to be a spiritual embodiment of the Sabbath. John the Revelator called it the Lord's Day. Literally translated, the Lord's Day means the day Belonging to the Lord. That's Revelations 1:10. Markedly, the Holy Ghost was first poured out on a Sunday. That's Acts 2:1 through 36. Early Christians viewed the Lord's Day with the same pious reverence with which they had previously observed the Old Testament Saturday Sabbath. Look at how Paul speaks of the church in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. He said, "Wherefore, we having received a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably." with reverence and godly fear. Clearly, we're to view the things of God and his church with veneration and admiration. Furthermore, Jesus didn't say the gates of hell shall not prevail against you or me. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Consider another important scripture that gives us a glimpse into the way the apostles viewed the church. And this is from 1 Timothy 3, 14-15. Paul said, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. The Apostle Paul was emphasizing certain parameters that should be observed within the house of God. Early church services were not unplanned gatherings without leadership or organization. It wasn't just a coffee break or an informal get-together. It was the sacred assembly of God's holy, peculiar people. The most common objection I receive from people who don't think we should dress our best for church are from people who don't think God cares how we dress under any circumstances. Modesty to them is, is pure legalism. Any kind of outward holiness is loathsome. Their favorite verse in the Bible just happens to be an Old Testament verse, which I find interesting because these same people typically preach to me about how we're no longer bound by anything in the Old Testament. They usually misquote a fragment of the verse saying, God doesn't look at the outward appearance, he only looks at the heart. So let's take that question and run with it. Does God only look at the heart? It's important that every Christian understand this and settle it once and for all. First, let's look at the actual Scripture in question in its original context. It's 1 Samuel 16 and 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. Don't worry about how tall he is, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. This is the scene where God was about to anoint young David through the prophet Samuel to be the next king of Israel. All Samuel knew is that one of Jesse's sons had been chosen by God. And when he saw the older, stronger brothers, he naturally assumed one of them was probably God's chosen, especially because King Saul was a tall man with a kingly countenance. But God didn't want Samuel to make the mistake of choosing the wrong son just because of his appearance. God knew that David was a man after his own heart, despite his youthful appearance and inexperience. 1 Samuel 16 and 7 is among the most mishandled scriptures in the Bible. The text does not indicate that God doesn't care at all about the outward appearance. That would contradict dozens of Old Testament scriptures and New Testament passages. The spiritual principle at work in 1 Samuel 16, 7 is that God is not fooled or swayed by outward appearances alone. God isn't impressed by the superficial. God has the supernatural ability to see beyond our exterior into our innermost being. He sees our true intentions, our deepest desires, and our secret longings. While man may see physical strength, God sees spiritual weakness. Where man may only see outward sincerity, God sees inward corruption. This is refreshing and sobering at the same time. I wholeheartedly believe in outward holiness, but without inward holiness, the outward is, in fact, vain. Genuine inward holiness will produce outward expressions of holiness as well. For example, A man may love his wife with all his heart, and because of that, it affects his outward actions toward her and for her. If he abused his wife, that would be an outward display of inward problems. If he cheats on his wife, that would be an outward display of inward problems. If he wears clothing that she genuinely hates, that would be an outward display of inward disregard. If he blatantly and publicly disrespects her, that would be an outward manifestation of an inward problem. Avoiding those things isn't legalism, it's love. This whole discussion has brought the issue of modesty into play several times, and the hermeneutical law of first mention makes the issue of modest clothing incredibly important. Remember, after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they lost their innocence and realized they were naked. In response... They inadequately covered themselves with fig leaves that's genesis 3 7 god saw they were still immodest so he personally made a coat of skins and clothed them sufficiently that's genesis 3 21. modesty is a common theme that runs throughout the old and the new testament one furious individual wrote to me and said i wanted to speak at my church and they told me i had to wear a collared shirt talk about controlling and manipulative now i realize the bible doesn't condone collared shirts as sacred And I realize collars aren't necessarily evidence of sanctification. But doesn't a church have the right to maintain a dress code of some kind? Most jobs have a dress code. Shouldn't the church have some influence? Years ago, my daughter had her first piano recital, and she was given a very specific list of what and what not to wear. And and I had no problem with that because I respect the institution's goals of artistry and excellence. Uh, I'm not even going to bother with theological examples of authority and respect, but doesn't common cultural decency inform us that we should have some deference to spiritual and secular authority? Apparently, it no longer does to many people, and that's tragic in my opinion. You know, you'd be surprised how many people think Jesus dressed like a bum. I get literally hundreds of emails claiming that Jesus was the son of a carpenter, and he probably dressed like a poor country boy, and and they even— Sometimes they'll throw in you know, the long-haired hippie uh, stereotype of Jesus, the incorrect stereotype of Jesus, the implication being that since Jesus was poor and likely dressed poorly, we should too. One individual even claimed that carpentry should be a prerequisite for ministry. Well, I think a good argument could be made that carpentry wasn't necessarily poverty level in, in Scripture days. That, that wasn't necessarily dirt poor level. It is obvious in Scripture that Jesus came from humble beginnings. However, It doesn't have any bearing on the discussion at hand. Nowhere am I indicating that poverty-stricken people should be financially irresponsible and buy fancy, expensive clothing before they attend church. Dressing our best might vary from person to person and from place to place. Just to keep things interesting, though, let me throw out a little tidbit of information that lots of people overlook. As you probably know, the Bible doesn't really say much about Jesus's appearance or wardrobe, but we can figure a few things out based on the cultural norms of his time, and that's really about it. But the Bible does make one mention of the Lord's seamless garment. That's John 19:23. This is the garment that soldiers gambled for among themselves at the foot of the cross. Why? Why did they gamble for it? Because a seamless garment was valuable. In fact, the consensus among theologians seems to be that this was some kind of garment usually owned by wealthy royalty. I don't think this means we should all go out and buy royal garments. I'm just saying Jesus apparently wasn't running around in rags like many people suggest. The final objection I'd like to talk about generally goes something like this. Christians who wear suits and ties to church seem haughty, arrogant, and condescending. Sometimes they follow up with a statement like, It seems to me like a suit and tie fosters a spirit of vanity and showiness that would be unpleasing to God. I know that this is often just a a misperception, but I still think this is one objection that has some real merit. So this is where I preach to my like-minded friends for just a minute. All of our dressing up out of respect for the house of God is valueless if we don't love and respect others. If we're condescending, unkind, derisive, or prideful, we've missed the point. And my friends, I'm, I'm begging you, I'm, I'm imploring all of us to speak the truth in love and demonstrate that holiness is inward as well as outward. If we respect God, if we respect his house, we'll respect others. Don't let inward filth defile the beauty of outward consecration. Vanity is always wrong, no matter what we're wearing or what we're not wearing. Let's love people. Let's display holiness in a way that is kind and considerate. I've enjoyed featuring a poem on each episode of Apostolic Voice so far, and today I have a good one. It's called Modesty. I wish I could tell you the name of the author, but I just cannot find it. If I do, I'll certainly I'll certainly give it to you. But for now, without further ado, I hope you enjoy the poem, Modesty. For eons and eras, I have been the standard for humans, wrapped up in layers, they portrayed my essence. It was a sin to reveal much skin. The old days were the good days. I chuckle in dismay. Nowadays, Hades knows anything goes. For sticking around, youths call me a killjoy. They hang out with confidence, befriending indecency my fiend. They sing some songs with words that I can't say, then tell me to get over it, for language is expression. Back in the day, who dares treat me this way? But now Hades knows anything goes. I sneak into the minds of elders to report their kids. Expecting a feat, I smirk in mischief. But accepting defeat from society's heat, they mutter unconsciously, anything goes.